0: Well, good evening and welcome to our midweek Bible study here at Lost River Church of Christ. We're working our way through the Ten Commandments and we've come to the sixth commandment, which is thou shalt not murder. And we'll be looking into that momentarily. First, I want to back up one more time and show you a screen we've seen before and remind you that there are two great commandments that God's given to mankind. The first is that we are to love the Lord our God with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength. And the second is that we're to love our neighbor as ourselves. In this series of lessons, we have tried to emphasize the fact that we cannot have the one without the other. The cultural crisis that we're facing in America, the crisis of character that's just tearing us apart is largely rooted to the fact that we thought we could keep this second commandment while ignoring the first. But the reality is, as we shall see in tonight's lesson, that the basis for loving our neighbor as ourself and respecting the value of human life traces its origins to who God is and the fact that we are made in God's image. So the reality is if you want to live in a society that honors life and does not commit murder, then you need to be in a society that not only says, hey, let's love each other, but knows why we should love each other and value each other so highly. And that's connected to our our appreciation and our honoring of God Himself. So I hope again, as we turn now to this second table of the Ten Commandments, that you'll appreciate the connection for these moral injunctions and how they're tied to these spiritual requirements. So let's dive in and look at the commandment itself. It's found in Exodus 20 verse 13, you shall not murder. Now, some translations that you're looking at might say thou shalt not kill. What's the difference between killing and murder? Well, I think the NIV is correct in translating the word murder because it's not talking about just killing in general. In fact, the Bible tells us that there are certain instances in which killing is justified when um, done to the appropriate uh, authorities and under the appropriate situation. The difference between killing and murder, well, killing on the one hand could be accidental killing, and while we shouldn't do that, it sometimes happens in this world. But murder, as we understand, is the malicious intention of taking really an innocent person's life, someone who has not done anything worthy of death, and yet we kill them, generally out of our anger at them. That's the thing that's being prohibited here. Now, I think that this is rooted, as we've already uh, looked at, in our understanding of who human beings are, creatures made in the image of God. Because going back to Genesis 9 and verse 6, the Bible says whoever sheds human blood, by humans shall their blood be shed for in the image of God has God made mankind. Mankind is unique in all of God's creation in that He alone bears the image of His Maker, of the Creator, of God Himself. Uh, Animal life is valuable, has its own value, but human life is unique. Human life is different. And we all, I think, instinctively recognize that. Only people who are just completely sold out and bought into an evolutionary model would ever confuse the value of the life of an animal with the life of a human being. But people who hold to a biblical worldview recognize what's being taught here in Genesis 9. And that is that human life is distinct and elevated because we reflect the image and the glory of God himself. And so to attack, to diminish to take the life of a human being is an attack on the image of God himself. And so there are capital crimes in the Old Testament for which there is a justifiable reason for the civil government to come in and execute the wrongdoer. And this does not fall under the prohibition, thou shalt not murder, because this isn't murder. This is civil government functioning as God's instrument, God's hand, God's servant to carry out justice, to carry out the justice that we just saw here, that when a human being, human sheds the blood of another human, he has forfeited his right to live. So there are a number of capital crimes, crimes worthy of death that civil authorities are Uh, authorized to execute the criminal for having committed and they include this is an exhaustive list but they include such things as murder you've gone out you've killed an innocent person you've now forfeited your right to live and if you are condemned by a, a civil process a fair and just civil process that civil society has the right to execute you without that killing being a murder. Secondly, it includes child sacrifice, which I think has some relevance to our culture today. And we'll come back to that in a little while. And then also bearing false witness in a capital case. By a capital case, which simply means a case in which a defendant is on trial for having been charged with doing something that if he's found guilty will result in his execution. And if I'm a witness testifying in a court of law against that person so that they will be found guilty, and yet I'm lying because what I'm saying that they did, they didn't really do, or what I say I saw, I didn't really see. If I do that to them to try to get them killed, executed and it's exposed. If it's found out that I was lying about what I said, then now I have forfeited my life and the proper procedure in that case would be to execute the false witness. And then finally, human trafficking, um, slave trading, um, the buying and the selling of human beings for the purpose of benefiting myself or making a profit. That's something that was a capital offense in the Old Testament as well. Well, that's the Old Testament. What about the New Testament? Well, the New Testament also, I think, authorizes civil governments in certain extreme cases to execute those who have committed these kinds of crimes. In Romans, the 13th chapter, we're told that the civil government is a minister or servant of God to execute his wrath against the wrongdoer. And it says he does not bear the sword, which was a executionary sword for the beheading of the criminal in such cases as this. And so there's a distinction that we want to make between justifiable execution or killing and that which is classified here in the commandment as murder. You shall not murder. And I will also hasten to add that none of us are justified in executing the criminal out of a vigilante approach. You you hurt me, I'm going to hurt you. You killed mine, I'm going to kill yours. All of this is to be taking place under the jurisdiction of a authorized civil uh, society and a civil uh, system justice system. So I wanted to give that a little bit of clarification, but I want us to see that underlying the the principle, the commandment, thou shalt not murder, is a principle of respect for human life. That really undergirds what God is driving out here, doesn't it? God has placed an extraordinarily high value on human life, and we as his image bearers are to respect the value of human life. And as Christians, we know why we should respect the value of human life, because human beings are creatures made in the image and likeness of God. That means every human life is created in the likeness and image of God, from the unborn to the very old, to all the various races that populate God's green earth, to people of all socioeconomic strata, people of all different IQs and intelligence factors and skills and abilities. Every human life to the Christian is to be regarded as valuable, as sacred, because of its symbolic connection to the God whom human beings represent and symbolize. So this is the general principle to be understood. Now, that means that we must resist anything that erodes the value that society places on human life. There's a lot to say about that in our current cultural situation. There are so many things that are eroding the value of human life. And as a result, we're seeing human life become increasingly cheap in American society today. And a couple of things that come to my mind are first things that we would associate with media The music that is often played uh, these days speaks of of violence toward people or toward people groups, or sometimes toward women. And if you have on your playlist music that includes that kind of music, I would, I would say to you, you need to get rid of that immediately. Music penetrates the soul and it affects the way we think and view other people and any music that glamorizes or in any way erodes the value that we should place on human life needs to be eliminated. Movies, so many movies have gratuitous violence in them. This doesn't mean that any movie that has a murder in it or any violence in it is is something you shouldn't watch, but how is that murder, how is that violence portrayed? In too many cases, it's, it's sort of something that is there simply for entertainment value rather than to make a moral point. And if we uh, are in the habit of watching brutal movies just because we enjoy the guts and the gore, then something is broken in us and needs to be repented of. Finally, video games that just put you in the position of of randomly taking human life without any good uh, reason is something that I think is being increasingly recognized as, as problematic. But more than just what takes place within media is what's actually taking place in our society. Two things in particular stand out, abortion and euthanasia. Euthanasia is the typically the ending of people's lives who are either elderly because we feel like they've, live their lives. There's no really purpose or value that they contribute to society anymore. They're just a drag on society. And so it would be better just to eliminate them. Or perhaps they or people even who are younger are suffering even terribly. And we decided it would just be better for them to no longer live than to suffer the way that they do. And so we euthanize them. Kind of a pleasant sounding word but it's something that we are not authorized to do. The end of a person's life is something that is in God's hands, and we need to leave that to him. Again, excluding justifiable cases where the civil government is executing a criminal, where God has used that civil government as his hand to bring that person's life to an end. That's not the case with euthanasia. That's us making a moral judgment that the value of their life is not worth the living anymore, not a choice that's ours to make. But then also, and perhaps more importantly, because of the sheer volume of it is the abortion carnage in, the, in America today. Since Roe v. Wade became legal uh, law, made abortion legal in America, Over 50 million abortions have taken place. And if you want to talk about something that has racial significance, then you should look into abortion. From its racist uh, beginnings with people like Margaret Sanger, the founder of Planned Parenthood and her racial attitudes and the reality that Planned Parenthood's Facilities are predominantly located in lower income and minority communities. We build fertility clinics in upscale neighborhoods and abortion clinics in poor and minority neighborhoods. And the fact of the matter is that abortion, regardless of what race is involved with it, what gender, and did you know more girls are aborted than boys? The reality is we're to respect and value human life in all forms and at all points of its development and throughout its natural life. And as Christians, we need to stand against abortion. We first and foremost should should not have one. And and secondly, we should do all that we can to see that, that that evil is someday eradicated from American society these are things that undermine the value of human life and actually attack the image of God as it exists in these people. We want to stand against it, but more personally, we need to guard our hearts against attitudes and words that devalue the lives of other people. You know, when you become angry at a person or when you become upset at something that's going on, it becomes very easy for you to start dehumanizing the object of your anger. And I think that's why Jesus says in Matthew 5, 21, in the Sermon on the Mount, you've heard that it was said to the people long ago, you shall not murder. Yeah, they've heard that and we know where now. And anyone who murders will be subject to judgment, which we've been talking about. But Jesus says, I tell you that anyone who is angry with a brother or sister is subject to judgment. Well, why would Jesus say, put put anger in the same category or classification as, as murder. Well, I think the obvious answer to that is that the reason that you murder people is often because of the anger that you feel in your heart toward them. You feel like you'd be better off if they were out of your way or they're getting in your way towards you getting what you want. And so out of anger or perhaps out of jealousy or envy, you just eliminate that undesirable element from your world. And what Jesus is telling us is that, it, is that if it is wrong to commit the act with the hand, then it's wrong to experience that emotion in the heart or to harbor that emotion in the heart. If the thing itself is wrong, then the motive from which it springs is wrong as well. Anger is murder in miniature the difference between a person who is seething in malicious anger at another human being and the person who actually kills them. The difference between them is actually a difference in degree, not in kind. And so what do we do about the anger in our hearts? And of course, Jesus isn't talking about all kinds of anger. There is a godly anger that looks at uh, the injustice or the lack of respect for human life that others may have. Jesus dealt with that when he saw Pharisees who saw people who were crippled and and harmed and did not want to see them made whole on the Sabbath day and that made Jesus angry, not because he wanted to murder the Pharisees but because of their attitude toward human suffering and, and human life that degraded it. And so there's a proper outlet for anger, yes, but this is the sort of anger that springs from our pride and our envy and our self-centeredness. And that kind of anger can lead us to judgment. And again, anyone who says to a brother or sister, raka, is answerable to the court. And anyone who says, you fool, will be in anger of the fire of hell. You know, I don't even know that I know for sure what raka means, but it sounds bad. And you shouldn't say that kind of thing to people. Actually, I think it has something to do with an insult to a person's intelligence. And to say you fool has has to do with an insult to their character or their integrity in the original language. And the idea is that we're trying to dehumanize. We're trying to downgrade the object of our anger. And what we say with our words, can often become the catalyst for what we do with our hands. And Jesus wants us to be pure of blood, innocent blood on our hands, but also in our mouths and in our hearts. And he teaches us to avoid this. Now, what I want to conclude with today is that a couple of quotes from a book I read by Rick Ashley on the Ten Commandments that I think are so brilliant. He said, modern man has put God to death And now we can't stop the killing. Do you remember how at the beginning of the lesson i talked about how we really can't separate the commandment to, to, to love God and love man. And how that very first commandment we looked at was you shall have no other gods before me because I'm the God who made you and I'm the God who saved you. And so you need to sanctify me and honor me above and beyond everything else. You know, really everything else in our life flows out of that relationship that we have with our maker and redeemer. And when we have him in the proper perspective, it really kind of frames everything else in the world. And if we understand from his word that human beings are made in his image and we respect him above all things, then we will respect them as well. But when human beings come along and say God is dead, God is passe, God is irrelevant, we don't need God in our lives, it's just interesting how soon the killing starts. And I don't really think the killing's gonna stop until we get back to putting God on the throne of our hearts and lives. And then lastly, he says only when God counts for everything will man count for anything maybe up to this point in your life you've been tempted to kind of just follow along with the naturalistic explanation for for the world and for the existence of human beings that we're just sort of a cosmic accident an evolutionary process that's come from nothing and it's really going nowhere how on earth out of that do you really devise derive a system of values that that has any root or meaning or impact in your life. It's only when when we see God as ultimate, eternal creator that we have a basis upon which to put morality into practice. And until God is everything, there's no way that man can count for anything. So let's value human life because it's made in the image of God whom we value above and beyond all else. Let's close with a word of prayer. Our God and our Father, how great you are. How awesome is your name in all the earth. You are eternal and you are above all else. And so it is right for us to praise you. It's right for us to extol your glory, to sing your praise because of who you are and also, Father, because of what you've done for us. When we didn't value human life, you put your stamp of approval and value on it by sending your son to die for our sins and to rise again to redeem us and give us hope, to restore us to what we had, uh, the position we had occupied before we had fallen far from your glory. And so Father, we give you praise and glory for all things and especially through your son Jesus who has redeemed us and who teaches us to love one another and to love you above all else. May we value human life from conception to natural death and do everything we can to promote and value it in our society. May we be lights in this as Christians. In Jesus' name we pray and amen.